Hi, I'm Dan Boyd. I'm Kimmy Zeiler. St. Ignatius of Loyola said, Out of gratitude and love for him, Jesus Christ, we should desire to be reckoned fools. We're seeking to discover Christ in everything, from the banal to the sublime, and this is Fools, fools for, for Christ. Christ. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show for today. We hope you're doing great. What are we talking about today, Kimmy? We're talking about food. That sounds awesome. So to start off with, you and I have some food that we have never tried in never. our entire lives. It is um, goat milk. Yes. Unpasteurized? Unpasteurized goat milk. So we may die. <laughs> but we were going to do that anyway eventually. Um, I'm excited about this. All right. So should we, on three, you want to drink it on three? Okay. okay. <laughs> One, One, two, two three. three. good it is it reminds me of goat cheese but not in like it doesn't have that like sour punchiness of goat cheese which i love about goat cheese but i don't think i would like in in milk no 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 um but it's lacking that that like very strong milky flavor of cow milk yes um, it is which sometimes can be a little overwhelming but i will say that this milk tastes more like cow milk than almond milk or coconut milk does yes because i'm used to drinking almond and coconut milk Okay. Like a combo. A combo. Yeah. Um. Well, I, I like goat milk a lot. Yeah. Cheers to whichever goat offered this up to us. Yeah, um, it's delicious. And to accompany our goat milk, we actually have <laughs> some. So I got both of these from the same place. It's a, a cool little store near where I live that sells um, local stuff, like local milk. So this milk actually came from a farm in Orlando. And this is a raw, or not raw, it's a vegan gluten-free brownie. So not that I have a problem with unvegan or unglutenfree brownies, but this was all they had. And so this is what I got. <laughs> um, so let's go. Three, two, one. Mm. Sorry to make you listen to us eat. This is delicious. It is. So followed by some goat milk, man. Am I am I allowed to say the name of the store? Where we got it? Uh, sure. I don't. Okay. I don't see why not. We're not endorsing them in any way. No, it's just where we got the food. So it's the <laughs> Wild Hair uh, near the intersection of 434 and Ronald Reagan in Longwood. So if you're in the area, um, there's a caveat: raw milk is only for pet consumption, and so Kimmy and I are taking a risk by drinking it. Um, but the brownie's great. Um, it's really, really cocoa-y, and I think they have coconut oil in here as a replacement for butter. I would also like to make it known that Dan did not tell me about the, that about the milk before I drank it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I knew unpasteurized <laughs> meant it was a risk. <laughs> it's yeah. only for pet consumption, really? Well, they, they have to label it that way oh, in okay. Florida for food law. I understand. Um, I understand. So that everybody knows they're taking a risk when they drink it. <laughs> <laughs> That's too uh. funny. So today we're here talking about what our the role of food is in our life as Christians. Which um, was why we started by eating food. Yes, really good food, really mm -hmm. well-made, nutritious food. Yes. Um, and it, it's one of these things that, uh, as I was thinking about the show, I think yesterday, and what we wanted to talk about, I thought about how... Christianity really does encompass the entire human uh, experience from 
Wait, did you say it doesn't? It does. Yes, okay. If I said it doesn't, that wasn't what I meant to say. I meant to say (laughs) it does encompass the entire human experience. Okay. I mean, everything um, is, can be seen under a new light. Our birth um, is it, I mean, it's, it's like a, an homage to our baptism and our death is a, just a, a reminder that we will be resurrected and we will, uh, we will be alive in the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're sharing in Jesus shared in our death. And so we share in his resurrection. Yeah. Um, and no, it's like there's, there's hope for everything because Jesus entered into every single human experience, including food. Um, both the, like, apparently the great enjoyment of food from what he was accused of, um, being a glutton and a drunkard, um, but also abstinence from food for long periods of time. Um, and sometimes there seems to be a tension there between the fasting and the celebration, the feasting, the fasting and the feasting. So we want to lean into that. We want to talk about it. What is fasting and what is feasting and what role do they have when they're enlightened by the faith? And how do you how do you fast well? How do you feast well? Yeah. Um, so let's let's talk about fasting first. Sounds um, good. Because it'll, be, it'll be more fun to talk about food or like feasting at the end. <laughs> always, that's, it's like so we'll treat this like we do Lent. We fast yeah, first and then we feast later. Perfect. Although we will not take forty days to explain feasting to you. No, thank goodness. <laughs> so the I, I don't even remember where I picked this idea up, but I just remember very clearly probably learning from, I had a, I had a unique experience because I was homeschooled in high school, but I had a philosophy and theology class taught by actually a Franciscan grad, Hmm. um, who has since become a a chiropractic doctor in the area. Um, but, um, really, really great guy. And he, I think taught me or just made me very much aware of the goodness of the entire created world. And that Hmm. there was no, in terms of what God created, there was no thing that in itself was evil, and it was only how things were used or if there was an yeah. absence of good in some way. And food is probably the, between that and the nuptial and relationship of married couple, one of the things that is most often misunderstood and its goodness is, is overlooked in the world and not seen. Yeah. And fasting is not... Um, fasting is not a declaration that food is bad and we're avoiding it because we really want to free ourselves of the material world. That would actually, I think, be an unchristian way of looking at the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but instead, um, it's, uh, it's creating a, a balance in our life and create, making sure food has the right place. But it's also stepping back from something or giving up something that is so good because we're remembering that it just points us to something more important. Um, and that is our union with God and that the, yeah. like any joy we experience with food is simply meant to point us to the joy of the eternal banquet with the, the, the Holy Trinity. Um, Forgive me if I've used this description before. Um, I might have done when we did a podcast for Lent, but fasting, the best way I've heard it described is creating a hole in ourselves to be able to fill ourselves with more of the goodness of God. Yes. And so fasting is not really, when you're fasting from something, you're not necessarily fasting from something bad. And so we're not saying that food is bad when you're fasting from Mm -hmm. it. We're saying we're making way for that, which is even better. Exactly. Like you can't, I don't think you could rightly say you fast from something bad 
um, like for a drug addict to say he was fasting from his drug. No, you're not fasting for your from your drug. You're trying to never ever use it again. <laughs> um, yeah. Whereas fasting, it's you're coming back to something that is good later. Um, but perhaps you may have made it a bigger reality than I should have been. And mm-hmm. hence, like you need that space in your heart for the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I, even if you have used that one, we should use it again because that's perfect. But, but <laughs> I think that's the perfect explanation of really any type of fasting, whether it's fasting from food or media or mm-hmm. anything. I mean, like people make a God out of exercise. People make a God out of mm-hmm. TV, out of music, and they don't allow space in their life and in their heart for the Lord. Um, and so in that sense, fasting restores the proper order to life and that the, the well-ordered life is one where we live according to our nature and that's God's at the center of our life and that he's the one who fulfills us and not pizza and brownies and goat milk and kombucha. Um, yeah. When, when we're talking about this, I keep thinking about the Franciscan sisters, T.O.R., the penance of the sorrowful mother. Um, they... They take this into their daily life. And so on a regular basis, they don't eat sweets. They don't drink coffee. They don't drink flavored tea. I'll explain what I mean by flavored in a minute. Um, But on feast days, they do. And on Fridays, they fast to an even greater extent. And so their baseline, um, they don't really have very rich foods and um, overly indulgent foods um, as a penance. And so they (laughs) develop something they call Franciscan tea, (laughs) which is uh, hot water in a mug. (laughs) And it's their way of like convincing themselves like, you know, this isn't coffee, this isn't tea, but it's Mm -hmm. not a feast day. Right. And so I'm going to drink my Franciscan tea. And so next time you're with a Franciscan sister T.O.R., a penance of the sorrowful mother, ask them for some Franciscan tea and they'll like... That's funny. Blow a gasket because they love, they love that. Um, but on feast days, they do. They have the coffee, they have the tea, they have the sweets. Yeah. And on Fridays when they fast, or other fasting days of the liturgical calendar, the way that they fast is interesting because they fast in a way that allows them to have the energy to do the work of the day. Yeah. Okay? And so they take great care to make sure that the bread that they're eating is seeded, has some sustenance to it. They'll have hard-boiled eggs with that, and they have some peanut butter. But that's what their meals look like on Fridays. Right. And so, so that's certainly a fast. But they're not, um, it's not that they're not eating anything. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. They're, um, C.S. Lewis, I, I don't know if I've gone a, uh, an episode yet without referencing C.S. Lewis in some way, but I think in, maybe in Screwtape Letters, he actually talked about um, the gluttony of delicacy and mm. um, how even if people don't overeat, they have this sense of gluttony where they are so demanding in the refinery of their food um, and that, you know, that if their toast isn't the perfect brownness they'll reject it um and Mm. it's uh i would say that's kind of a disordered approach to food of being unwilling to eat anything that is not perfectly to your liking Mm. um and what the sounds like what these sisters are doing is the reverse of that of saying we are we're going to eat just what we need to continue doing our mission continue Mm -hmm. doing the work of the lord yeah um fasting can't 
can't make you not able to do your vocation. Like if a, if a nursing mother were to fast, she would probably starve her baby, which is why the church, I think says that like nursing mothers don't, yeah, don't fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it's at the order of, or it's at the service of the vocation and it does not replace the vocation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the way those sisters do it is it, that makes so much sense to meet their, you could say like the, their caloric needs for the day so they can still do their work. Yeah. Um, but they are, they're making reparation for sins that are going on in the world. Mm-hmm. And they're participating in Christ's salvation thereby, which is a really, really awesome thing. It's something yeah. I think we, we tend to shy away from because it feels weird to, to talk about our own activities as like doing penance and atoning for, for things. Mm-hmm. And it, I don't even fully understand how I, how my penances and my sacrifices are incorporated into Jesus's great sacrifice, but we know from St. Paul and the New Testament that like our sacrifices do something. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do it anyway, even if I don't understand it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's also important for us to mention as we're talking about what fasting can look like to mention that, um, is it canonically what they say fasting is, is one regular size meal yeah, and two smaller meals. Yeah. Which is, most people don't think of that at all. Like if, um, they, Which the two smaller meals don't make up the regular size meal. Right. Right. Is I think that... the, depending on how you interpret it. I think oh, some okay. people, some people say, no, that's not necessarily the case. Just, um, the, as I understand it, the, that's a, a relaxation of the previous, the previous rule mm. and, uh, going kind of under that spirit of relaxation, um, it would be safe to interpret it as those two meals don't need to be um, smaller than the one main meal, just smaller than you would ordinarily eat. So mm. if, you're, okay. if your main meal is two eggs and three pieces of bacon, eat one egg and two pieces of bacon or something. Or obviously, don't eat bacon on a Friday in Lent, but <laughs> <laughs> if it's bacon, go for it. Um, bacon. Um, but... Um, yeah, it's not the, the church is not asking people to never eat. Yeah. Um, it's just saying like eat less, and that's um, you know that's not that hard. There's only what like two days of of fasting in the entire year. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's uh, Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, well, and then whatever. Technically, you're supposed to also fast on Fridays. Right. That was never lifted. Right. Um, <clears throat> but that doesn't, the church doesn't say that it has to be food that you're fasting from. Yeah, yeah. There's we, some sort of penance on Fridays. Yeah. And we're, so, um, there is the, I think sometimes we can rationalize fasting. We think, oh, well, I'm going to use this for dietary purposes. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's probably just good caution to one, to, to be honest with yourself in terms of, I know I need to do this to make sure I'm fasting not out of pride and trying to prove to myself how tough I am mm-hmm. um, or anything else like that, um, but just fasting within the guidelines of the church. And if there are any medical issues, check with a doctor and check with a spiritual director to make sure that you are engaging in something that's both physically and spiritually healthy. Yeah, and um, when we say spiritually healthy, um, something that is bringing you into the goodness of the creative world and something that's making you more... Um, either you're sacrificing for, like offering it up for someone or something, um, and using it as a penance and 
um, doing good doing that way or that it's helping you to better appreciate um, the goodness that God created right yeah so to, to step away from it for a time so that you can under like appreciate its goodness and beauty and then return to it mm-hmm. and that was so when I thought about this show two quotes immediately jumped to mind and one mm-hmm. um, when I shared this with Kimmy earlier you were actually like surprised yeah. because it can't, you went to a, the Franciscan University so yes. you're steeped in, <laughs> in the Franciscan tradition yep. um, and so this is from St. Francis he was speaking to a brother friar uh, he said you sin brother calling the day on which the child is born to us a day of fast it is my wish that even the walls should eat meat on such a day and if they cannot they should be smeared with meat on the outside. And so we've got this, perhaps the world's greatest faster. Yeah. You know, the, the most severe penitent other than the Lord in the history of Christianity saying that on Christmas Day, we should smear the walls with meat. Um, and this is, again, like, I don't think anybody other than, than St. Francis, better than St. Francis, understood the goodness of the created world. I mean, that's why he can mm. uh, he can write the canticle of, of yeah. the sun. Because he knows, like, all of creation is telling the goodness of God. Mm-hmm. From the trees and the mountains and the hills and the fields and the moon to the meat that we eat on Christmas and the way we celebrate. Mm-hmm. Um, and that the, the flip side of the coin of fasting is feasting. Yes. Um, and the church doesn't ask us to fast indefinitely. They ask us to fast so that when we feast, we understand why we're feasting. And that's we're celebrating the goodness of God and what God has done. Uh, so much so that like this, I love this idea. Um, any solemnity that falls within Holy Week is not like they don't just say, well, forget about it. We'll do it next year. They move it outside of Lent so that we can still celebrate that great, <laughs> that great feast. Yeah. Um, and we can still like for St. Joseph's feast day uh, or St. Joseph's solemnity, like, in many, many cultures, it's still uh, a big tradition to, I mean, that, like, you stop fasting and you eat, like, a, Italians eat f- donuts on St. Joseph's Solemnity in the middle of Lent, because <laughs> um, you have to celebrate the Guardian of the Redeemer. Yeah. Um, and then another quote from St. Thomas, uh, sorrow can be alleviated by good sleep, a bath, and a glass of wine. Such uh, wisdom. Yeah. Abs- I mean, just Such wisdom very, there from St. Thomas Aquinas. Um, and for both saints, both of whom were, uh, St. Thomas was in the newly formed Dominican order, which was almost like a, a brother order to the, the Franciscans. Both of them were beggars and both of them were used to going without and used to, to fasting. Um, but in these quotes, I think it encapsulates the clarity that they have of the created world that comes from fasting and that they see things as they are created to be, uh, to go back to Mumford and Sons. Um, <laughs> they understand the created world as it was meant to be, uh, and therefore can use it correctly. Mm. Um, and that's our goal, right? Yeah. To be able to do and be and utilize the world the way it was created to be. So that goes back to the garden yeah. of, uh, of like Adam and Eve being created as like caretakers and, uh, and partners with God intending to all of creation. And so their, their real job in life was, um, enjoying, like receiving the goodness and the riches of God's love and kindness via the created world. Um, and and caring for it, maintaining it, protecting it. Yeah. Um, and participating in it. 
And that has so, so many implications in terms of, I mean, just like the way we look at growing food and going out to Mm -hmm. eat and everything. And, Mm -hmm. you know, without, I'm sure this could, this probably quickly, very quickly divides people. Um, Just in terms of how, like how animals are treated, even if you know you're going to eat them, like I, I will unapologetically say I've hunted before and I've killed animals that I've eaten. Um, but I, I think I have a great appreciation, a very, very great appreciation for animals that God has created. And I recognize like in the same way that some animals were created to feed wolves, like some animals were created to feed human beings. Um, and I, I I don't think that makes us appreciate it any less, but only more so. And when we, you know, the, the way we treat the planet and the way we, we farm, um, it really, that, that's probably, we could get off in the weeds here with this. Yeah, but, we really could. Um, that all, it all comes back to, are we, are we taking care of creation and living in creation the way the Lord wanted us to? Mm-hmm. Or are we acting as if there's, there's no God and acting as if there's not some greater purpose and meaning to life than simply waking up, eating, and then going back to sleep at the end of the day. Amen. Amen. I know um, I know a lot of people who that is their life. Yeah. And that's, you know? that's my life sometimes, and I forget what I'm supposed to be doing. <laughs> you know? and But it's just... Um, oh, same here. Same here. I'm guilty of this as well. Um, but it's so easy to fall into when you don't believe that there is more. Yeah. It's somewhat like, if there's not more, then why not just make it all about enjoying the pleasures of food? Um, and that's food and whatever other pleasures. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. Because that's all the world has to offer. And we know that that's not true. And I think the probably better than anything else scripture testifies to the more that there is in life Mm. um and they surprisingly do this through food like is there any more used image in scripture for what heaven will be like than than food um i mean this like this is they they say the you know the way to a man is through his stomach or something i think like god understood the way to human beings was through their stomach and that's why all of scripture talks about food all, I mean, you go back, like, New Testament, Old Testament, like any, like, if it's a historical book, if it's the Psalms, if it's uh, anything, it's, a like, food comes in. Like, I don't, maybe other than the, some of, like, the one-chapter letters of St. Paul, you probably can't get through a single book of Scripture without finding copious references to mm-hmm. food um, on purpose. Like, the Jesus' first miracle was food-related, um, and it was... Like every single, I would say, like every time he talked about food, it pointed to the Eucharist. Um, and it's like the central mystery of our faith yeah. is about eating together. To be drawn into communion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's, we've talked before about the, the power of food to form community and to bring people together. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not an accident at all that the Lord made our Sunday worship gathering around a table together. It's where an altar is. Um, It's a table. Um, There's, I feel like there's no end to, uh, to just reflecting on what scripture is trying to tell us about food and it's goodness. And that's, 
that's why we're sitting here eating like <laughs> vegan gluten-free brownies and like what next time we'll eat regular brownies because i like those too no this is what they had um and goat milk and um we're actually so we i don't think we said this we we're also oh yeah drinking, we didn't mention um, like kombucha so this is the uh, the wild hair also has a kombucha bar they have kombucha on tap if you don't know what kombucha is it is fermented tea um, Doesn't that sound good? Yeah, <laughs> uh, it is. Trust me. And this one's mango flavored, Ooh. Um, which is why and it's, it's why actually like good. It. So, it's uh, delicious. Yeah, I've actually made my own kombucha. Have you? Yes, and it's good. It's not this good, but it's good. Um, awesome. Yeah. Um, so while we're talking about the Eucharist, um, one of the things that just is hitting on my heart right now, and so I want to bring it up, and I know it's not on our notes. I apologize, Dan. Um, Men in the desert. And the Israelites' relationship with food. Yeah. And the way that they, first it brought them to God. And the experience of finding this delicious bread at every dawn. Um, that they could not store it up. That they just had to eat what was given to them. Right? And they yeah. had to rely on God to give them more manna yeah. every morning. And then you get a few years down the road and all the Israelites are doing is complaining that all God is giving them is this stinking manna that they have to eat every day. We want something else. Why did you bring us here? You know? Yeah. And like, isn't that so true to our relationship with food that we find ourselves in this flux um, when the Lord really is just trying to say, I will provide for you. I love you. Yeah. In, I mean, in every area of life, and we just get kind of complacent with God's goodness. You know, the, there's that saying, if you eat enough lobster, it tastes like soap. Um, <laughs> I, guess, if, I guess if you eat enough manna, it tastes like manna. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, that, I think, so fasting and, and then feasting is, is a great way of re- kind of drawing us back to that centrality of the Lord provides, um, like, be content with where the Lord has you because um, mm-hmm. it's exactly what you need. And he is not giving you more or less than what you need. Um, so the, you and I both, when we, this, you brought this idea up yeah, yeah, yeah. about the, the Eucharist, Eucharist as a Toda sacrifice. Yes. And we both got super excited. We, and neither of us knew that we were excited about this. So um, <laughs> the, the Toda was a, a Jewish ritual meal and um, it to, to kind of like avoid giving a dissertation here. Uh, <laughs> well, there were several rituals that yeah. the Jewish people participated in. Yeah. And one of the sacrifices, like some were the Passover, mm-hmm. the Passover feast. That's yeah. one of the sacrifices. Yeah, ritual. These are all ritual meals. So one of was, was Passover, Pesach, mm-hmm. and then one was the Todah. And they had, they had others. Um, but the Todah was different. Yes. And that is, so um, we're kind of like, we probably both have the same idea about this, but we'll just, we'll fill each other in. Yeah. So one of the things that stands out to me most is, um, the Tada meal is a, so just think of like, imagine this is what's going on in Jesus's mind and the apostles mind as they go into the last supper. Um, it is a Thanksgiving for, it can be for God's deliverance and it can be for deliverance that has not yet taken place. Mm. Um, and the other thing that, that stands out to me is that it is a, um, if I remember correctly, it could be wrong on this. I'll have to go back and, and read my books. But um, the Tadamil 
is a way of establishing family bond with those with whom you celebrate it. And so when we literally every single Sunday, because we're like the Eucharist carries the overtones and the meaning of this ritual, um, we like we enter into this meal where we are giving thanks for deliverance and we are there thereby, thereby made family members with those people that we're celebrating the meal with. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- like, this is actually the, the reason why I like sitting near my family and friends at mass, because those are the people who I'm, I'm most aware internally of my relationship with and my desire to be in greater communion with mm-hmm. and knowing the Eucharist is causing that which I most desire. Mm. That's beautiful, Dan. Thanks. Um, the other point I want to talk about with the Toda is that all the other sacrifices um, were what you would think of as a sacrifice. Yeah. You know, like, like uh, unleavened in, bread. Mm-hmm. Not exactly tasty. Yeah. It doesn't, <laughs> like, it's not it's not choice meat and fat. Like, <clears throat> when you when the Jews would sacrifice animals... They would give the choicest parts of the animal, um, or like an entire animal, uh, to God. That was what was was pushed over into God's mm-hmm. mouth. But you're right; like this is different. Like the breads, the breads were always the unleavened bread or something yeah. like that. And this, the Toda sacrifice, it was sweet breads. I did not know that. And so um, when they did the Toda sacrifice, it was, um, it was something joyous. It wasn't. It was a. It was more of a feast, yeah. You know, uh, oh, more wow. of what we would consider to be a feast. Yeah. Um, I, I don't want to apply something that doesn't actually fit right. <laughs> in the Jewish tradition, yeah. but, um, and it means thank Thanksgiving, yeah, which the, already the mentioned. Word literally means Thanksgiving, which is the same. Th- Eucharistia means Thanksgiving. Yeah. And to this day, if you're in a Jewish town in the, the Middle East, um, you say Toda to say to say thank you. That is really, so now, like anytime, whether it's a Jewish friend or just with your with uh, your other friends, your Christian friends, to say thanks, you can just say "Toda" and be reminded <laughs> of uh, of our need to to give thanks for our daily bread every day. Yeah. Well, that is all the time and all the food we have for today. So we <laughs> hope you enjoyed this food for thought, and have a great week. Look forward to hanging out with y'all next time. We'll see you next time. All right. God bless, friends. Bye.